Hey, hey, it's Adrian Lawrence and I am bringing you TYT's The Conversation today. And I've got some dazzling guests for you. The first of whom comes to us from the magic city, that's right, Miami. That is Miss Kathy Aru. She is a proud member of Cubanos con Biden, a national mm-hmm. grassroots effort launched by Cubans against Trump. And Kathy's also the founder and editor of Catalina, a magazine that elevates and appreciates our Latina sisters. Welcome in, Kathy. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us. So let's talk about the 1.4 million Cuban American voters. So unlike other Hispanic voters in the US, the majority of Cuban Americans identify as Republicans. And they've historically really just shown out for the Republican Party. So why has the Cuban American vote been so committed to the Republican base? People are so, they're stumped. It's amazing because I've had to do Q and A's recently on social media about this one. Um, It's actually because of 1961, the Bay of Pigs. Um, Kennedy was the president for this fiasco, the Bay of Pigs. It was a failed attempt to take over the Castro regime. So at that moment, the Cubans in this country decided that they were going to be Republicans. They were very angry at Kennedy for that big flop. And they are loyal to the Republican Party, but they are not loyal to Trump. They're not MAGA, they're Republicans. Huge difference. So when people are saying that these are gonna vote, these are gonna be Republican voters, no, they're Republicans, but they're not Trump voters. Big difference. Absolutely. This is a big, big yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that, Kathy, because that makes a lot of sense. As in the Democrats did them wrong those years ago. So hey, yeah. let's do Republican now. That totally makes sense. And talking about doing others wrong, you know, since Trump has taken the office, he's really sanctioned Cuba, restricting trade, travel. Also, he's reversed so much of the Obama administration's diplomacy efforts and economic ties with Cuba, right. not to mention his anti-immigration stance. So yeah. how are Cubans in Florida really feeling about Trump's leadership, as you've kind of already hinted, they're not here for it. Well, it's amazing because for the first time I've covered three administrations um, you know, over the years. And what's amazing is this is the first time I have, I've always been the lone Cuban Democrat because my parents were loyal to Kennedy because he brought them in. But then the rest were very upset about the Bay of Pigs, which Trump said he got the Bay of Pig award. There is no Bay of Pig award, by the way. But he tweeted that out and he hasn't taken that tweet down. Wow. So good for him, he got this award that doesn't exist. And if it did exist, it's an insult. So I have no idea why no one's told the president this, but maybe they don't like him much either in the White House. But so for some reason, the Cubanos in Miami are fed up with people thinking that the younger generations are Republicans that are just MAGA. That they're just being labeled MAGA. They are so upset. They do care about climate change. They do care about women's rights. They do care about gay rights. These are things that are a younger generation's concern. The pay the Bay of Pigs doesn't really matter that much. So there was already a shift when Hillary Clinton was running. And now with Trump, the Cubanos have decided they're gonna go full grassroots social media. And they are coming out. And the group was started by 20-something-year-olds saying Cubanos con Biden. And there's Team Pastelito, Team Cafecito. So they've made it really fun for all of us to kind of join. 
Um, even celebrities are joining because you could join with like a hint of fun, but say, I am not voting for Trump and I'm not ashamed to say it anymore. We are not scared to say that we are not Republicans, um, but we're actually not Trumpers. They're not, <laughs> they're not Trumpers. I, I can appreciate that. Definitely, this isn't sports, no need to stick with one team, but let's right. do what's right. And we yeah. know back in 2016, I think it was about 54% of Cubans in Florida voted for Trump. And I know he's going to try to leverage that, particularly in the swing state that Florida is, because it's so valuable. But we also did see how in 2012, it was about 49% of Cuban Americans voting in Florida for Obama, which was really strong. So what is it about Biden's campaign that is really resonating with the Cubans in Florida? Well, um, the the Cubans really are uh, one of the models that they put up that really meant a lot to us was that Biden understands Cuba. So he was there with the Obama administration. They understood Cuba. And now when you have a president that's on TV, he gave an address and one of his addresses said, I'm a president who's done the most for Cubans than any other president. And it was a throwaway comment and as a Cuban, my plight, my history, my culture, my, 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 my city, my land, mi tierra is a throwaway comment. You've done more for me than any other president. No, you haven't. Biden's done more for us than you have and you ever will. And we, right there, I knew he doesn't know who we are. He probably thinks we're Puerto Rico. He just doesn't know what island he's talking about at the moment, I think. It, it was a disregard for our history and our culture. And I think a lot of people caught on to that. It was just, you just threw away that comment. Yeah, Throwing and I, away. Yeah. I definitely think that you are right on that in terms of his disregard of anyone, unfortunately, who's not white male American. And, you know, kind of, you have a lot of experience. So I'd love to tap into that. You know, you were at Fox News as the liberal Sherpa for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And that's quite a feat because, you know, Fox News rhetoric. And that means you were constantly going up against. A lot of propaganda, unfortunately, but this gives you a keener eye. So with presidential elections, we know they're always pretty pivotal, always pretty contentious. But in your eyes, as someone who's experienced, who's seen a lot and who's gone against the beast, what makes this upcoming presidential election even more critical in your thoughts? Yeah, I was definitely the hen in the Fox house for since 2008. So I started with Fox with the Hannity show 2008. And O'Reilly and all the primetime shows, the big hitters. So I debated uh, Ann Coulter, I've debated uh, Charlie Kirk. So I've gone, you know, toe to toe. And um, this is the most divided uh, country that I have ever seen. And even at Fox News, at the end of the day, there's so many journalists that before they go on air, they have to check their phones to see if the president tweeted. And we all learned really, really fast that we cannot go on air without checking our phones. So Democrat, Republican, whoever you are, you have to see if that man, you know, I'm trying to hold my word back, but that, that tweeter in chief, that reality president, if he tweeted something so ridiculous that we have to drop an important issue, like Iran, the Middle East, China, something important to talk about The Apprentice or SNL. Or something so silly that he decided should be news. And he divided a country. He divided and he exhausted journalists. And we really became divided and confused. I think this is the most confusing time for Americans in this country because they don't believe 
the media. And the media is working harder than ever. I mean, I really have never seen all of us work this, this hard to decipher what's happening. And then to try to tell, um, you know, tell the public what's going on. So it's been hard for the media, even even at Fox. You know, it's been it's been hard for everyone behind the scenes. You know, and there's 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 liberals behind the scenes over there. That's a little secret, and they're <laughs> they're they're tired too with keeping up with these tweets. Well, you beat me to it, Kathy, because I was going to ask you for a little insight information from someone who's worked on the other side. But it seems that you've given us to, you've given that to us. But since we only have a few minutes left, I really want to tap into some important work that you're doing, kind of away from the mic. You know, I know in addition to being an on-air commentator that you flex your journalistic muscles as the founder of Catalina. And Yay. congrats on your 19th year of publishing. This is a very important magazine. Focusing on uplifting Latinx women. And also for this 2020 edition, you have both of our friends, Lisa Guerrero on the cover in a vote tee, which is super cool. She's the inside edition journalist and an actress and a Miss Everything, if you don't know, for all of those out there. But let me ask you, Kathy, what does it mean to you to uplift Latinx women? Oh my gosh, well, I started Catalina 19 years ago when I was a freelancer for People in Espanol. And, um, and they, I, out of 30 reporters in Washington, DC, I was the only Spanish speaking reporter for a Spanish publication. I was the only reporter covering DC who could actually read my articles that came out. Meaning they were, they were edited so many times, but by the time they came out, they were so inaccurate. And all my colleagues had no idea, but I did. I sold my car, started a magazine, and I put out the truth. We're not all peasants who had to sell soda to support our families of 10. We are not all these sexy other women. We are everyone. We are your neighbor. We are um, taxpayers. We are educated. We are good people. And uh, it was really hard to get that message across. We were not. A family of 20 living in a little apartment, as so many publications were saying, and saying that they were Hispanic publications. So Lisa Guerrero with her vote t-shirt is 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 representing. And I'm I'm really proud because she's on Inside Edition as a Latina. And um and we don't have to say anymore, hi, we're a Latina. We don't have to wear the little pin anymore. We're everywhere. And and that makes me happy that I over the 19 years I've seen that we've gone from stereotypes to your neighbor, um, your commentator, and um, being able to be on like a show like yours. It's really, it's really exciting to be able to be places that we usually weren't invited to be. Well, it is exciting and it definitely makes me happy too, to see your face and to hear your incredible voice, Kathy. And can you let viewers know where they can find you? Um, well, they could find me if they want to yell at me on Twitter. At Aru, Kathy, things get heated, and I usually do respond. I do like a good debate. I do like good facts. Um, Catalina Mag and Liberal Sherpa Podcast. We have um, Chrissy Fit is a Cubana for Biden, and the Cubanos for Biden um, are coming on the show, and we're, they're all representing. No one's hiding anymore, and she's the actress from Pitch Perfect. So I totally fangirled her. Uh, but we did talk politics. Awesome. So. Thanks so much for joining <laughs> us, Kathy. We look forward to it. And Thank take care. You. Thank you. It's Adrian Lawrence, and we are here on TYT's The Conversation. 
And I have a bit of a political palate cleanser for you. It is some good stuff. I'm joined by a pair of talented storytellers. It's Academy Award nominated filmmaker Kahani Cooperman and six time Emmy winning filmmaker John Hoffman. And this pair will they put together a feature documentary titled The Antidote. Welcome in John and Kahani. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, so foremost, congrats on getting the antidote done. And just to help everybody out, I want to hear in your words, what is the antidote about? Kahani, go ahead. Well, the antidote is a film that weaves stories from all over the country about kindness, decency, and the power of community in America. It's very much made in response to the times we're living in and acknowledging that um, there are there are some unkindnesses that are a fact of everyday life for many Americans. And so this is a look at everyday people who have made the intentional choice to lift others up in their communities. That is excellent, especially now because as we know, 2020, the hits keep coming. It is a dark year to say the least. And I know it's easy to court despair in the face of these monumental structural problems. But what really made you want to create this film that made you say society needs us? John, go ahead. Well, we were deeply, we are, we are deeply affected by the forces that are trying to divide us. And so we felt, Kahani and I felt that we needed to look at the forces that unite us. We needed to look at the forces that, as Kahani says, weave our communities together. And it's our fundamental belief, and it's the belief of, of many, that those are very powerful forces and they are alive. And that if we don't understand them, if we don't recognize them, if we don't value them, we run the risk of letting them start to erode and this divisiveness start to eat at those forces of, of good you know, in our communities. And so this is a film that really is a very serious look at those, those forces to really remind us A, that there are, there's a lot of good that we are surrounded by every day, but how do you not just notice it, but how do you then sort of nourish it in the communities you live in? That really, that hits me, John, in part, just because it seems like you capture that so well. Kahani, do you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Well, I just think that it is a really serious look at kindness and that it's very easy to think of the word kindness and look at it as soft. But we just don't see it that way. We see it as like an incredibly powerful tool. And um, so we're hoping that people who see this film or even hear about it realize that while random acts of kindness are wonderful, this is about intentional acts. And people who, everyday people like you, like me, who are looking around them and asking themselves, like, you know, what resources within myself can I use and give and help other people? And so, um, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I'm really proud of this film where I really, as much as these individual stories that are part of the film are all incredibly powerful, I think it's um, the way they all work together. The sum is greater than the parts. And it's, in a sense, a portrait of our country and it's like who we are and, and who we can be, I think. Very cool, Kalani. That really kind of hits me when you say the sum is greater than the parts. And unfortunately, we've seen so much 
division within the last four years in particular. And we see people moving toward, let's see what we can do to unify. But I'd love to explore both of your thoughts in terms of how do you think we got here? It doesn't necessarily have to be a political bent or any particular angle, but why do you think people are struggling so much to show compassion, to uplift, to be willing to stick their neck out to see that the sum is greater than the part? Well, I, I think that we are a country that has struggled with um, division from the very beginning. Um, and you know, there are um, there's a there's a historical context um, from the uh, the way that this country was settled um, and uh, the way that Native communities uh, were treated from the very beginning, and then the legacy of slavery, you know, cannot be ignored in looking at how that has shaped the psyche of this nation. Um, and so we made a film that um, um, is made with an awareness um, and a deep sensitivity to what we call the fundamental unkindnesses that we have grappled with as a country um, for generations. Um, and that it's, 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 uh, it's issues around poverty. So we say that it's fundamental mentally unkind, someone to not um, We say that it's fundamentally unkind to not have access to health care. It's fundamentally unkind to not be paid a living wage. Um, and if you just look at those three alone, you know, you're talking about structural issues that are so um, ingrained and so baked into our history. But we also say that there's a fourth dimension of fundamental kindness, which is the injustices of racism and sexism and homophobia. So we, these are stories of people who are, and organizations and institutions that are all actively working against those, those historical structural inequities and divisions, forces of division. That's really powerful and I completely understand that in terms of seeing those power structures and how divisive they can be and also how oppressive they can be, particularly when it comes to individuals trying to have a living wage or trying to have equal pay, equal justice and all of the things that we see hold people down. And one thing I would really love to tap into because it sounds like you all made this film mid COVID or at least in this new era that we have where we have social distancing going on. So how did you get this done? We actually completed it during COVID, but all the filming was done prior to COVID. And so we shot all of 2018 and about half of 2019 before we head to the edit room. But we did have to complete the film remotely. You know, talking to our editors like this um, to finish it up. But um, I'm really glad we did. And it's really, um, in addition to the messages of the film, I find great comfort in seeing all these images of people together and, you know, communicating with each other and connecting with each other. I, I it has been um, helpful, a helpful reminder during, I think, these trying times to, to, you know, be so immersed in those. Individuals who we tell the stories of, and just the communities they live in, and you know, remembering the time that was, and where we're, we'll be hopefully going back to soon. Wow! Can Go I, ahead, John. 
Yeah, I just want to jump in to say that um, we, when COVID happened, we had to ask ourselves, you know, that question: Will the film work um, in a COVID era, even a post-COVID era? Um, and we found that people who we asked to screen the film found the film actually more important, more necessary. But then George Floyd was murdered, and we had to say, you know, the discussion that's going on in this country um, around, you know, the ways that, you know, uh, that the black community in this country is unfairly treated over and over and over again, um, if not murdered. Um, uh, so we had to ask: Is are, are the issues that we're raising in this film going to be relevant in not only a COVID world, um, but a world that has a whole new level of thinking um, around Black Lives Matter. And so um, again, we've, we, we asked ourselves that hard question. And again, we return because of wise counsel of people saying, your film is, is actually more poignant now. Oh, absolutely, and I was I was blown away because I was thinking you may you must have filmed this during COVID because of how important and impactful it would be, and it's it's really kind of I'm just wowed by the fact that it's so fortuitous. It's almost like you couldn't have set this up any better because this is exactly what we need right now. The antidote is exactly what we need, which is really cool. And we only have a few minutes left, and so I would really love to hit on. What is the impact and the takeaway you want people to have from this film? Kahani? <laughs> Thanks. That is a, that's a great question. I think that uh, you know, for me, the most important thing that I want people to take away is when they see these stories and meet the incredible people in our film, that they realize that um, they're you know whether you're a person giving or receiving. You know uh, that um, you can do it too, and it's not—it's not just for you know a, someone who studied this or is that degree. It's like anyone can do it on any level, and by do it, I mean help other people and help your community and make your your community and the people in it have better lives. So that would be, uh, you know, my my dream would be that that's what people take away that like, hey, I can do this, and I want to do this. Kahani Cooperman, John Hoffman, thank you for joining us. The Antidote will be released to theaters October 16th for virtual screenings and then released October 27th for video on demand streaming services. You can learn more at theantidotemovie.com. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thank, thank you. you so much.